So I was reflecting um, this week, is that loud, is that me, is that a bit loud, are you sure? <laughs> I feel loud, I'm loud enough. Um, so this week I was reflecting on how we share the gospel, yeah, how do we actually share it, um, and I find it hard sometimes to do that, I find it sort of difficult um, to do in a way, um, you know, I have my faith and I know the word of God and stuff, but I still find it difficult sometimes. And I would suggest that the style of Christianity that we do in the community we live is probably one of the hardest styles that you would find, yeah? And I want to explore that concept today. Um, I think when I sit back and sometimes I think about how do I share my Christianity, I think that I rely on probably two things. I rely on relationships that I know people and I feel if I build a, enough of a relationship with someone that I might be able to get to a point where I can share about things. And then, of course, there's our good works. You know, there's those sorts of things that sort of, um, that counterculture that we sort of probably feels very comfortable for us. And I think a lot of the stuff that's gone on in our society recently with all of the fires is sort of something, brings out this sort of generosity and stuff in people that we would find very comfortable, you know. Um, and again, I think that we've seen that, you know, I think there's been kindness and generosity all around the place in our community. But again, I would hope that people would probably look at me and think, oh, look, what a you know, good example he is and stuff, and they want to know more. But the reality is, lots of people can do good. Yeah, and we've seen that. We've had lots of people in our community doing good. So that can't be really the only thing that can be done. And let's be honest with ourselves, there are days when my goodness and being a good person hmm, probably isn't the best. Yeah, that can be dependent on how things are going to work, what, whether you're around my kids at 8.30 at night in my house. <laughs> It's probably not the best time to see the best example of me. So I think that, so um, I sort of was reflecting on this and I think to myself, um, you know, even though I have a really strong belief and I certainly understand, and, and recently this was brought up to me at work, we're doing a lot of wellness around our work colleagues and stuff and trying to be mindful of them and all of the stuff that's gone through. And as a hospital, we can't care for people if we've got, you know, burdens ourselves. And we've been doing some quite focused groups and people were really sharing about things. And even in a group like that, I still found it difficult. Even though I spoke about my, my faith, I really didn't probably do it justice that I could have done, even in an open forum about it. And I sort of came to this revelation as I thought to myself, um, it, it's, it, it's not good enough to be good and know people. Yeah, Christianity, our faith has to work way beyond just being good people. Yeah, and, and having relationships with people, knowing people, yeah? It's got to get to a place. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's a character that's got to stand behind who we are. You can't say you're one thing and then not back it up with a character. But I don't think it can only stand in that space. Does that make sense? And again, I think if you think about how sometimes, you know, I've been to Hillsong Conference. Who's been to a big conference, a big Christian conference, yeah? You go there, these amazing speakers, and they bring this amazing word and stuff like that, you know? And you're thinking, oh, that's so amazing. And you go home and you reflect on it, and it's amazing. But then I think to myself, imagine that preacher in his own church. Does he have the same sort of bang for buck? And what about in his local town and people who knew him when he grew up? Are they as impressed with him as probably other people are? So I think that the style of Christianity we do in our, little, in our little town here, and I remember hearing Billy Graham once say, he said, I wish that I was that, I, I am envious of the, little, of the pastor with a little church of 50 or 100 people down the road. That's what he was envious of. He wanted to be that sort of guy. He wanted to have that community that we do. So I think I, on reflection of this, I sort of think one of the things that is challenging for us is that we are sharing our faith with people that we know really well. It's in our workplaces, it's with our colleagues, it's with our friends and family, and that can't always be easy. And again, I'm going to try to go through a scripture today that sort of brings a bit of light onto that. Is that okay? Let's hope so. 
Um, maybe you guys don't have any problem with this and you guys share the gospel amazingly, so all power to you, but for me I find it sort of challenging, yeah. Um, and again, I think once I delved into this, I was really amazed at how much comes out of Scripture. Who's, who's really sat in sort of Scripture recently and stuff, you know? It's amazing how much out of even just a couple of verses can really come out of it. So hopefully I can do some justice today. The central, so if anyone wants a title for my talk today, if anyone takes notes, is A Prophet Without Honour. Um, the central Scripture that I'm going to work around today is going to be Mark 6, 1 to 6. Um, I'm going to use the English Standard Version for this just because I, I quite like the version of the way it reads. Okay, we right? Okay, so uh, Mark 6, 1. <clears throat> he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done in his name? Is not this the carpenter, the son of, my, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And, as, and, um, and they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is without honour except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could not do mighty works there except that he laid, sorry, he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marvelled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. So I'm going to try to explore that scripture today, yeah? I think it's an interesting scripture that Jesus in his hometown seemed to be limited or couldn't really do what he was on, yeah, and didn't even get any honour, yeah? So I think that this is sort of, again, probably delve into what I want to explore this morning. So let's start at the beginning. So he went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Now you've got to remember that Jesus returned to where he grew up, yeah? Not the place where he was born, but where the place he grew up. And he comes back and he comes back as what? A rabbi. He comes back with followers. He wasn't a trained rabbi. Yeah? So people would have automatically looked at him and gone, what's this guy doing? Why is he coming back to us as a person who has followers? Yeah? And people there would very rightly remember him as a carpenter and the son of a carpenter. Yeah? So he followed in the family tradition. What's this guy doing come backing now and preaching to us in our synagogue when he was a carpenter and I knew him? Yeah? Now in my earlier life I used to be a tire fitter. I used to walk around in grubby clothes all day. Let me tell you, there was one person when I was in the middle of a recess, now I work as a nurse in the hospital, and I was running a recess on their family member, and let me tell you, they looked at me and went, why are you doing that? You're a tie fitter, I saw you a couple of years ago working around in grubby clothes. So sometimes, has anyone ever felt that? You know, sometimes people know you in one light and then see you in another and find it difficult. So again, these people really struggled with the reality of his Jesus, the guy that they knew growing up, and now he was here preaching to them. Not only did he come back with followers, but he came back with authority. Yeah, he came back and spoke with authority. <clears throat> and again, what happens when you say to your people that you know, your friends, your colleagues, what happens when you say, I know the secret to life, I know how to have inner peace, I know what life's about? Do people take that well? Do you sit well with that? Do people... Um, and again, when you sort of get it more personally, when there's been tragedies going on in our community recently and you still come out of the other side having hope, 
I'm going to look at you, Lynn, because you're a good example of that. You know, people who can lose everything and still come out of it and say hope, you know. And bless your heart, Lynn, you know. This morning, Lynn says to me, I still haven't got angry. I still haven't got angry about it. Should I have got angry about it? Yeah. And I would say that I think that that's her faith. Her faith is just so grounded that, you know, doesn't need to get angry about it, knows that there's something out the other side of it, you know. These things are really counterculture. These are not normal. These are not normal ways to respond, you know. Um, but, you know, how do we sit into that? Do we sit into that well? And I think this is going to be the challenge for people when they talk to us, you know. They see us in a different light. You know, they're going to know Shano is the builder and the surfer and stuff, but then when he actually starts talking about his faith, then it's like, hey, no, I'm actually a representative of Christ, you know. And how do we do that? So that's what I really want to get into this morning, yeah. Let's move on to the next verse. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did he get these things? Yeah. What is the wisdom given to him, and how did he do such mighty works done by his hands? Yeah? So they'd clearly got some revelation of who he was. He didn't just come back as Jesus. And he did. Now, I don't really know what he preached on that day, but I think the people in that synagogue clearly had an understanding of who he was and what he had recently done. Yeah? And I think that that's sort of important to understand. So let's go back to the beginning. He was actually teaching on the Sabbath day. Yeah? Sabbath day is a very holy day for the Jewish people, yeah? Day of God's rest. It was a day of not doing any work. It was certainly a day that was very holy to them. Now, again, he was teaching in the synagogue. Now, this was a, a right that was given to special preachers. You're allowed to sort of come along. Paul took advantage of this a lot, a lot of the time when he went around and did his ministry. He went into synagogues and was able to talk to people. So, again, he would have been invited to do this. And who was he speaking to? Who were the people that he was speaking to in the synagogue? You can answer this. It's not a rhetorical question. So he was talking to the Jewish leaders, the elite. Yeah? He was talking to the educated people. He was talking to people that were well-versed um, in, in, in uh, the word of God. And it says, when he was there, he was teaching them. Okay? So when he was in the synagogue, he was teaching them. And I just want to take two seconds again. There's a um, guy called Brandon Hil Hilgerman, who I think had an interesting concept. He talks about teaching versus preaching. Yeah? Now, a lot of times people would probably think that these two things are synonymous, teaching and preaching, they're the same thing. Yeah? But there's many verses in the Bible where teaching and preaching are mentioned separately. A lot of times people would think, oh, it's, you know, um, preaching is for the heart and teaching is for the mind. But you know, I can actually have a really good concept in my mind and that can really go into my heart. You know? So I don't think that it's... So I think it's an interesting thing to just have a little quick look at here. Because in Matthew 11, 1, Jesus um, went about teaching and preaching. And in Luke 20, um, verse 1, he went around teaching and proclaiming the name. Yeah? So teaching and preaching are two different things here. And so and in a real ballpark figure, and again, you can go and have a look at this yourself, preaching is actually proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Yeah? So preaching is preaching the word out. Okay? So this is the word of God. This is what it's all about. But teaching is actually educating, yeah? bringing correct theology about something. Does that make sense? Yep, is everyone? I'm speaking very simple terms. So, but I liked it in my mind. I think that it's an interesting concept. And now, in reality, again, if someone is a preacher, you should be trying to do both. You should be bringing the message and preaching it, but also teaching. But I find it interesting that here, Jesus has said that he was teaching. So he wasn't bringing the word because the word was brought to them. But what he was probably doing was bringing them some correct theology, yeah? Which probably would have been very challenging for them. So again, I think that it's interesting just in a context that sometimes understanding that. Anyway, I found that helpful. Hopefully you did as well. But they were astonished. Yeah? So let's actually see what happened. So these guys don't really want to listen to him because they know where he come from. But what they heard, they were astonished. 
yeah? And there was such wisdom that they really couldn't deny it, yeah? And there was mighty works done, yeah? So they had a, they had a revelation of this is, you know, what he was doing was amazing, but they just probably couldn't comprehend it. So let's just, I want to just summarize very quickly what Jesus actually had brought up to that point so we actually know who we're talking about here, yeah? Is that okay? So I want to just talk about some of his actions that he'd done before, prior to this, and then I'll talk about some of what he, um, what he stood for. So some of the things that he'd already been accredited for up until this point in the Bible. Um, John Baptist had, had predicted that he was going to come, and again, if you were there, he had God's, God's anointing, yeah? God's voice came down and actually said, this is my son. That's another sermon in itself. Um, uh, he'd been through the temptation in the desert, yeah? He'd been offered the world, didn't take it. He'd called disciples, yeah? Not only did he call disciples to himself, he'd actually empowered them to cast out demons, heal people, do amazing things. Yeah, he'd healed many, many, it says, yeah? People with leprosy and people that were paraplegic, people that were blind. And you've got to think about those sorts of things of healing, you know? Healing someone's cold, people could probably go, oh, that's going to happen anyway. People that had leprosy, people who were disabled, who couldn't move, all those things, they're true miracles. You can't go, oh, now that guy that was a leper and couldn't move or is about to die. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's interesting even the style of things that he'd already done. Okay, he taught so many that the crowds had got so big that he had to go into a boat out onto the rivers because there were so many people there. He'd calm the storm, yeah? Even the wind and the waves obey him, Yeah? He'd healed the man who was possessed by the demon, not only a demon, by several demons, and he'd healed the girl who had died. So he resurrected the dead, yeah? This is who he was when he came into the place, and I have no doubt that the people in that room would have known it. But not only were there the things that he had done, there were the concepts that he had stood for, yeah? And these are some of them. He began to preach, even just that, as a thing, as a carpenter, was a big thing. And then he told everyone that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah? This is their most holy day, and he told them that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah? He challenged fasting and how it had been done, and you know, how that to not stand out in front of everyone and make a big display of it. He said, Don't worry, don't judge people. Yeah? Now, the Jewish people were set aside, you know? The Jewish people judged other people all of the time. <clears throat> he fulfilled the law. He said to them, I fulfill the law. You know, again, I can't even imagine that concept for those guys. Yeah, he refined concepts such as murder, oaths, divorce, adultery, an eye for an eye. Yeah, and he brought many challenging concepts like love your enemy, yeah, give to the needy, and how you pray, not like the hypocrites in a synagogue. Yeah, so remember, not only did he do these amazing miracles, he challenged them fundamentally about how and what they did. Yeah. Now, that's, that's the stuff that he got condemned for. That's the stuff that sent him to the cross, not his miracles. Probably, probably would have been happy with that. It was what he said and what he stood for that counted. Is that okay? Yeah. And remember that Jesus had already done this, yeah? He came here already and done this in Nazareth, yeah? So he came there after the temptations. Everyone remember that verse, yeah? So in Mark, Luke 4... 14, sorry. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he, was, where, um, sorry, where he had been brought up 
And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. And as in, as in the custom, he stood up and read. And the, um, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the, the Spirit of the Lord is with me, sorry, is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to um, the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he had already claimed this and now he comes back fulfilling what he'd claimed. Yeah? So this would have been extremely difficult, I would suggest, to people. Okay? And I think let's remember that these concepts, these claims that he had, these were the things that sent him to the cross. Okay? And again, we will claim extraordinary things, yeah? And this is what will be difficult for people. It won't be who you are and, you know, what you sort of say and whether you come to church on a Sunday or anything like that. It will be the concepts of the person that we believe in that will be challenging for people, yeah? Does that make sense? So I think when we're sharing the gospel sometimes, these are the things that are actually challenging to people, yeah? And again, I, like I said, I think that his miracles, people would have been happy, would have been happy for that. But again, it's what he stood for that was the problem. And again, again, we know God is good. And we know God is good because he's a just God. We know he's a just God because there's good and there's right and there's wrong. And there is a judgment attached to that. Does that make sense? I think that we know God is good. And again, because of Christians, I think sometimes we focus on God's goodness but for a lot of people, they may not be to that point of understanding that God is actually good. They may still be dying to self. They still may be being challenged about who they are. God may still be doing a work in them. So I think sometimes we need to be people that are compassionate to people and understanding about where they're at. Does that make sense? Because I think sometimes we focus on, oh, God is amazing and God is good. And I, that's, that's where we all want to get to that point. But the reality is for many people, they may still be at a point where, well, no, God causes every bad thing that goes on in the world. You know what I mean? And, and no, 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 I don't care whether you're a nice person, you're a hypocrite because I see you do this. You know, there's a conviction that only God's spirit can do in someone. Again, I think for us, it's to proclaim the name and to actually teach people about things. But the reality is, I think that conviction only goes on in someone's own heart. But again, I think as Christians, it's good for us to be tolerant of that and understand that and understand that there's a work in someone. Does that make sense? It made sense in my head. And again, remember, we're going to challenge the things that they all put worth in. We're going to challenge their jobs. We're going to challenge their status, their money, their goodness. Lots of people go, well, I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? I'm a good person. You know what I mean? And again, I'm sure many of us probably thought like that for a, to a point in our life until someone actually gets that conviction about who they are and where they stand in the whole thing. Does that make sense? Hopefully. Okay. It's interesting, because when I was at this work, um, work do they sort of made us go out the front and pick up these cards that was, um, you know, something nice, you know, be, you know, sort of good, good values to have. Um, and anyway, I prayed, God, give me something that's actually really useful for me in my life and that I can really use, and I got tacked which if anyone knows what you know, that word means, and I think it says weighty words must be weighed before spoken. And I think it was interesting because I think for my very nature, I'm a bit of a bull at a gate, so I found it interesting to actually have something that sort of sat with me that I should be a bit tactful about things. So I sort of sit with that now and try to get that into my repertoire of not being such a go-ahead person. 
Um, but again, I think that even, um, but again, I think it's just, I think it's an important concept for us to understand that what we stand for is a thing that's going to be confronting to people. And I think we should always be ready to give an answer and it should always be out of love. Okay, let's continue. Okay, verse three. Um, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters still here with us? And they took offense at him. Okay. Again, I think this is a very loaded statement, if you understood the context of what it was being said in. Um, to say that he was a carpenter, it sort of implied that he was a common worker, he had dirty hands just like us. That was sort of, the comp that was sort of what was being said behind that. And again, that he claimed to be the son of God. Those two things didn't marry up in these people's minds. And again, being saying that you're the son of Mary, for most people who probably lived in the village, they would have thought that he was an illegitimate son. Yeah? For most people, they would have thought, Mary, yeah, yeah, the son of God, yeah, sure. You know, for most people in the village, they would have thought, oh, yeah, that's the son of Mary who had him out of wedlock. Um, and again, I find it interesting that they took offence. I always like that old saying around offence, that it's only taken and it's never given. But they certainly summed all these things up and took a lot of offence to it. Um, and again, I think a lot of that would have been just because, oh, that, that guy, Jesus, he's the guy who laid stone in our backyard. Why would I listen to him? He was the guy who built the shed out the back. Why would I listen to him? And again, if you think about it from Jesus' point of view, I think it would have been difficult. Here, Jesus would have been coming back to his family and said, look who I am. Look at, what, look at what I've done and look who I am. Look where I've been. And what did he get? He got everyone completely the opposite. Everyone saying, you are nothing. You are, you know, you are nobody. They didn't believe him. So I think it would have been interesting for him as well. And again, do we do the same with people? Do we have people in our minds that they were at this stage or this is who they were? And I, me and Kath now were a kid that we used to do these camps in, in, uh, in Scotland. And we had this kid when he came when he was younger. And his father had run the camp or been one of the main people who ran it for about 12 years. So this child was very entitled. He came into my dorm and he was, I could have drop kicked him into the lake very easily. He was rude. He stood up in front of everyone and swore at me. Thought he was above the whole thing. And so we, and I, he was in, I think God blessed him because he put him in my dorm several years in a row. And anyway, we sort of worked with each other and we came to a good understanding. And now I would consider this guy one of my close friends. He's an amazing guy. He's an amazing dad, loveliest guy in the world, comes from a lovely family and I have a lot of time for him. But at his, and again, in my mind, if I'd just kept what I knew of him when I first met him, I would have never, ever built a relationship with him because he was so annoying and he was just... Yeah, very rude, but you know, then it's like, and so I think for us too, we need to, again, if we're talking to people and we know people and there's people we've grown up with and stuff, and again, we were talking this morning, Dave, he's coming back here as the lead pastor. He was a kid in this church. Yeah, so many of you guys are going to remember him as a little young bloke who was probably a teenager running around. But again, you know, how does that fit in our minds? How do we respect that? How do we know who he is now? Um, Yeah, I think being able to be seen in a different light is, is good. And again, for us, we all need to, I think, give people respect for whatever sphere they're in and who they are. Okay, verse 4. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, I think there's an important sort of concept to really grasp here. What is a prophet? I think we need to go back to that real um, basic... Uh, one of the commentators I read, he said... Um, in his commentary, he called, he called it denial-free thinking. 
A prophet is denial-free thinking. That you couldn't deny what they were saying. What a prophet brought. Now, what most prophets liked... No, most people didn't like prophets because they were highly confronting. They brought word that was really confronting to people, yeah? And again, we have to remember that that's sometimes what actually, when we bring our word, that that's what actually can come. You can't deny the truth, the insight, yeah? The godly wisdom, yeah. So remember that God's the thing that convicts someone's heart, but again, the word. So again, I think when you speak to a deaf world about things, um, that people don't want to hear a lot of what is said. I think, and again, one of the commentaries said, the basic activity of resigned, or people who don't want to listen, humans, was not to honour the sound, truthful, soulful um, um, ex- experience that prophets represented. Yeah, and he says, um, "Sorry, I'm just reading a quote here." So the divisiveness of the work greatly um, impacted upon the personal lives of a prophet. To stand against the world of denial was an extremely lonely occupation and it left many isolated from society and without honour in their own family. Christ possibly more than any other than any other prophet. So that's sort of how it would have felt for Christ, yeah? So he would have come back to probably where he felt home and he would have been detested and he would have been loathed, yeah? So I think it's important for us to probably understand the context that it was in. Because I think the, the more, too, that a world becomes corrupt, the more that someone is a speaker of truth, as a prophet is, they will stand out. So that's the context that he comes back into, yeah? And so this, hence the reason he says this statement, you know, in my hometown I have no honour. You know, people who know me, I have no honour. But I think there's a really significant concept that we need to grasp here, and I think it's really deep. And it's, and it's how deeply Christ took being about his father's business, Yeah? how deeply Christ actually understood what he had to represent and his father's calling, yeah? And I think this is really um, displayed very well in another story, which is about where Peter is talking to Christ, yeah? Now, remember who Peter was. Peter was probably the head of the disciples, yeah? He was the one that was probably most closest. So in this story we're just about to read, just remember that this is probably Peter, you know, and Christ's closest person on earth who he's talking to. And this is when he's saying, you know, he's, Christ asking him, who do you think I am? And this is the answer. So in, in Mark 16, 15 to 18. But what about you, he said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Good answer, Peter. Well done. You've been listening, yeah? So he says, Jesus replied, blessed are you, son of Jonah. For this, is, um, this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but of my Father in heaven. So it's interesting. Even Christ says, well done, Peter, good answer. But I know who gave you that answer. Yeah? And I tell you that you, Peter, and I'm um, sorry. And I tell you that you are, are Peter. And on, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be overcome. Yeah? So this is the promise that Christ says to you. Well done, Peter. You understand who I am and what I'm about. And because of that faith, I'm going to build my church on you. Yeah? So Peter's probably sitting there going, well done, I'm the man. Yeah? I'm the closest one. Yeah? I'm sure there was a little bit of that. Now, if you just look down in a couple of verses, just down from there. Um, 
This is when Jesus is predicting his death and his resurrection. Yeah, And just note the different response. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, this would have been out of love. It would have been out of concern. It would have been, no, Christ, I'm not going to let anyone do this to you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, You are a stubborn block to me and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What a severe rebuke from Christ. Yeah, all of a sudden, one thing, one is just like, well done, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And then in the very, very next verse, straight after it, he says, You are my worst enemy. You are Satan. Now, the thing I think that is really important for us to really grasp here is that Christ puts his service or his outworking of God's plan above everything else, above everything else, above friendships, above everything else in our life. Yeah? So I think, that it's, and I think that it's interesting for us because I think, do we actually put it in that sort of place? Okay? Is it, is it that's where it sits in our life or is it one of those things that we sort of like, I really do like it and I really know that it's there, but how much does it go in? And I think I want to just look at one other area that is very difficult for us. Because remember too, his family thought Christ was mad. Yeah? Remember that Christ's family didn't think, yeah, in Mark 3, 21, when his family said, this is Christ, he's teaching in another one of the synagogues, you know, he's telling everyone about things again, as he always did when he went places. And then he, this, is, this is what it says, when his family heard about this, they went up to take charge of him, for they said he was out of his mind. Yeah? So even his family who knew who he was thought, yeah, this guy's sort of out of his mind. Yeah? He's not really sort of knowing what he's doing, really. And I think I just want to take one moment here to think about the role our families and partners and friends play in our lives. And then this is taken from a preacher I read, I was listening to, Shane Farmer. What do our families play in our life? What are, what are our closest partners? What does Kath do for me in my life and my children, yeah? I think they, they're our mirrors, aren't they? They reflect back to us who we really are, you know? Anyone who's got a partner or family or friends that are really close, that's what our friends do to us. Sometimes there really are those people who just put up those mirrors to us and go, yeah, this is who we are, whether it be good or bad. Sometimes though, that can lead to that's where you get your value from and this is what they like about you and they dislike about you and this is where we get all of our thoughts sort of from about who we are. Yeah? But this really wasn't God's design. God's design was that we understood what he says about us and our partners are to play sort of those pillars that champion us on. Does that make sense? So I think this is an interesting concept. And again, if I sort of, you know, if I focus too much on what Kath thinks about things, yeah? Now, a good example is I'll go home after this sermon, I'll go, what do you reckon, Kath? And she'll go, well, you spoke too quickly and your concepts weren't really that sort of together today, you know? Sometimes she will. Sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she says no six. But it's funny, isn't it? We will go home and then I will take that. Now, does that really matter? All I hope is that I've put out my thoughts and that they've sort of settled on people's hearts and they can do what they want with them. But the reality is your partner is that person. And I think sometimes, and again, it's challenging for us, that if we as a person don't get our sort of thoughts from God about who I am, I'm going to want it off my partner or someone, yeah? And then that puts a, it puts a strain on that person, a pressure on that person that was never designed, yeah? And this is when husbands want demanding more of their husbands or husbands demand more of their wives. And again, a great example of it, I think, is when you go and watch parents at a sports field, yeah? And their little darlings are not doing as well as they should, yeah? And they take so much 
effort at us. Why? Why is that such a problem for the parents? And why do you see parents so convicted and nearly screaming their eyes out on the side? Why? Because they put their value in their children. Their children are the ones that give them worth. They think that they're a part of them. They think that you know, they, they represent who they are. They're not. We're stewards of our children. We've been blessed with them, but we're, they're not ours. They're their own people. You know? And again, do we put so much value in them? Yeah? So I think it's really important that we really understand that our, who we are needs to come from God. Doesn't need to come from anyone else. And I think if we stand and what he says, and again, if you really want to go into the Bible, there is so much that God says about us. Who we are and the purposes he had for us, how you can gain strength when you need it, how you can, when everything's flying along well, you can do that well and have a heart for people in the right places. You know, seriously, you sink into this thing and you will find so much that God says about you. But again, if we start to draw that from other people, it's going to go poorly. Yeah? <clears throat> And remember, this is what Christ said. This is what Christ said in Matthew 10, 34 to 37. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his daughter, his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now you read that scripture and it sounds like a hectic scripture, yeah? It really sounds harsh, doesn't it? But I think if you put it in the light of what we're talking about here, that the purpose that has to be before any other purpose is your purpose with God and what's called out in your life, then your family is. It's not saying that he doesn't care about your family and your family aren't an amazing part of your life. They just need to be put into one place. But if there's something that's going to get between you and what God has in your life, then it's not a good thing. Or if you put more value in them than you should in God, then it's not going to be a good thing. Now, I know that this is easy to say, yeah? But I think it's interesting when we actually understand these sort of concepts that they are challenging. But again, in the right place, it's God, God will always provide, you know? God will always provide things and stuff like that. I think everyone who works out of that sort of space where he is first, everything comes. Your family works. Things work. doesn't mean you're not going to have any troubles in your life, but it means when you do face them, that it's going to be okay, that you know there's a hope, that you have faith, things like that. So again, I think who Christ was was the most divisive thing, what he stood for, who he said he was. So all the business that he went around doing was unfortunately the thing that probably unraveled a lot of things that were in his life. That can be difficult, but again, I think once you set your mind to that, then all of things will come. Let's keep going. Verse 5. And he could not do mighty works there, except that he laid the hands on a few sick people and, they were, and healed them. So what happened here? Did Christ lose power? Did Christ, did Christ stop being Christ? Did he stop being the author and creator of the universe? Did he stop? Did he have, no prop, did he have problems having healing everyone? I don't think so. This is an important concept. And again, this is a commentator said, and this is talking about how God deals with his creation. Then it must be remembered that um, it is not God's method in dealing with um, his uh, creatures to force conviction upon them when when the ordinary 
means prove insufficient. The man's actions must be free if they are not, sorry, if they are not to be made, sorry, let me start that again. For men's actions must be free if they are to be made to test the judgment and they would not be free if God contained men to obey his will. So what I was trying to probably just say then is that people's, there's a, it's got to be a contract between you and God, yeah? There is a flow that goes between you and God. You know, it's a willing partnership between you and the Holy Spirit and Christ and God. The reality is God will never force things upon you. He will never make you do something. At the end of the day, he may encourage you, he may put you in places where you need to call out to him, but it is always up to an individual to actually do things. So the reason that he couldn't do things with these people was nothing to do with his lack. It was the lack of the people that were around him, yeah? <clears throat> so does this mean that our level of faith can limit what God can do in our lives? It's interesting because he says um, I, he healed some sick people. Now I want to come back to this. I think this is important, again, is an important concept to grasp as well. Let's go to verse 6 there before we go there. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around to the village and he was teaching them. Who can remember in the Bible the other time Christ marveled? Does anyone ever, does anyone know? Because there's only two times in the Bible that Christ marvels. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so remember that, just even remember that just as a very simple concept. This is when Christ was marveled, yeah? This is when he was astonished. This is when Christ stood back, who was the creator of the universe, and went, wow, that was pretty unbelievable, yeah? The other time, so, and it's both of the times that he's marveled have been about faith. So the other one, which you have correctly pointed out, is when the centurion, this is over in Matthew, well, Matthew 8, 10, but it's obviously Matthew 8. Um, then Jesus heard, when the, Jesus heard this, and this is when the centurion had sort of said, I know who you are, and you know, I send out people and I know who you are. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to um, his who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no, with, sorry, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So the first time that he marveled was when someone actually really grasped it. And this was someone who shouldn't have grasped who he really was. This was a Roman soldier. This wasn't some you know, Jewish person who had grown up listening to all of the sort of stories. This was someone who really shouldn't have. But he did grasp who he was. But in the opposite here, he is marvelling at their unbelief. He is marvelling at how much they don't believe. Yeah? And we need again to sort of, again, I think, to understand this. Um, is it, it's okay to have a little faith. It's okay to have a lot of faith. You can have faith as big as a mustard seed, and God can still work with it. Yeah? But because of their prejudices, because of who he was, because he was a common carpenter, because they couldn't grasp who he was, it says he sort of had unbelief or disbelief. Yeah, Disbelief is an unwillingness to believe. Okay, Unbelief is the absence of any belief, absence of any religion, absence of sort of that's its root cause. Yeah, And God can't work with that. If there is no willingness at all by someone, then God's not going to work with that. Yeah, God will just go, okay, it's a free will. And remember, for God to judge correctly, it needs to be free will, yeah? So I think, so at the end of the day, you know, it, it can, you can have a little bit of faith and that'd be okay. God will still work with that and he will still do amazing things. But if you have no faith, then God will not work with you. <clears throat> uh, 
And I think that it's interesting, and again, I think for us, we really need to understand that, you know, faith, and faith at its most core is just, you know, belief in things unseen, belief in things that have not come. It's a huge thing in God's world, yeah? In God's realm, faith is one of those things that he talks so much about in the Bible. And again, so I think it's interesting for us um, to grasp that. So does that make sense, yeah? That, you know, that we need to, um, you know, just having that fundamental simple faith is enough for, for us all. Um, and I find it interesting just to finish that off. He says that he went around teaching them. He wasn't preaching to them. He was teaching them. So he was bringing that correct theology again. Okay, in summary. First point is um, <clears throat> the word we bring can be difficult. Yeah. So again, I think hopefully I've sort of pointed out this morning that that can be... You remember what Christ said uh, um, in, in Hebrews 4.12? Yeah, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So remember that the word we bring can be difficult for people. Even though we focus on the really nice bits of it and the good bits of it and the uplifting bits of it, it also has a part to it that is just real heart. Yeah, and it's real difficult. So again, let us be people that steward people through that. Let us be people who preach it but also teach people and walk beside them. And again, God will always go before us. God will always convict people's hearts. He is the one. Just let's do it out of kindness. Be kind um, to people, whatever stage they're at. Point two, let us be um, faithful to God's word. Let us be faithful to the word that's in this Bible, yeah? And the purpose that is working out in everyone's life. Yeah. Again, sometimes within churches, you know, we can all have our sort of thing that this is a conviction on my heart and a conviction on your heart. Let us... If we truly ever, ever want to sort of be Christians that, have, you know, that make a difference, we really need to understand how we can all work together. Yeah? We all need to understand that in every person in this room, God is out working something in their life. Yeah? And again, if we're going to work together as, as Christians that sort of um, can do things, we all have to understand that. But I think yeah, there's a closeness and a relationship we need to work out of to get that to where it needs to go. <clears throat> and again, sometimes remember that those closest people to us and the closest things can also be our biggest Roadblocks, yeah? Just remember, let's put our family in the place that it needs to be. Again, that it's that thing that, attribute, that is to champion us on to greater things, but it shouldn't be something that we get who we are and our values and our purpose and who we are. Let God say, talk to those things. <clears throat> Point three, um, yeah, be aware of who we give our mirrors to, yeah? Be aware of who we give them to, um, and again, I think sometimes, you know, most things come out of concern for people, but let's remember, is that concern the best? Is that the best thing for me? Because I think nobody really ever goes into doing things maliciously to people, but a lot of it's done out of goodwill. Remember Peter, no, God, I'm not going to let that happen to you, Christ. I'm not going to let that, that's a bad thing, but it was standing in the way of what actually had to happen. So let us have wisdom in that. Point four, um, our faith and our belief can limit or even stop yeah, how God works in our life. Let's be mindful of that, you know. Let's be people that whatever actions are going on around us, that we do truly maintain that faith in God and who he says he is and remember those things um, about what he says about us in our lives and other people. And the last point, point five, the best comes out of the closest relationships. 
So though us sharing the word with our sharing the word with our friends and our colleagues and all of these things, even though it's probably messy and difficult and sometimes uncomfortable, the best things come out of the closest relationships. If you think about the apostles before and after Christ died, yeah? The boys before they were a ragtag crew who sort of didn't get it most of the time when Christ was talking about things. But afterwards, after he died and resurrected, the boys were different men. Yeah, they were men of conviction. They went around and they were un- unbelievably did the work of God. Yeah, they did it to the point of death, nearly all of them. Yeah, so I think let us be people that sort of <clears throat> understand that. I think that we, you know, um, does that make sense? Yeah. I hope it does, yes. So, yeah, just remember that sort of, I think, out of that relationship and stuff, and if you think about the way Christ lived, he lived with his disciples, didn't he? It wasn't that he went and preached. Now, okay, he obviously went around to lots of places and preached to people, but the people who were with him all the time, he preached to them and spoke to them. You know, so Christ lived what he was talking, yeah? <clears throat> and again, God is a relational God, yeah? He is an intimate God. So the things that are going to mean the most are going to come out of this, Yeah? So I think it's going to be messy and it can be difficult and overwhelming at times, but I think the Christianity that we, that we subscribe to and the style that we do can bring the most fruitful things and it can bring disciples and people that truly walk with God for a lifelong thing. So let us be people who are dedicated to that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Willie. That was good. I, um I like your um, concepts, Willie, and I didn't think you spoke too fast either. <laughs> no, it was really good. Great word from Swelly. Um, I'll get you to come pray for us. Swelly, you can use a handheld if you want. I know Swelly's heart behind that message was to motivate us to share the gospel, to share Jesus, and it was really good, Swelly. Thank you. Excellent. Right. Should we stand? Should we stand? Let's stand, shall we? <clears throat> Eternal Lord, we just stand to before you this morning as a group of believers, Lord, humbly before you. Let us let you guide us, let us let you convict us, let us be people that have you at the forefront of our mind, Lord. We thank you so much for the calling in every one of our lives. We just ask that we be people that are dedicated to that. We thank you so much for family and friends and people and let us put them in their right spot, Lord. We thank you. Um, yeah, just so much for this church, Lord. And again, I just thank you so much for community and the ability to be able to get together, Lord. Um, and again, that you know, we do know so many people, Lord. Let us be people that really, truly can um, just share the good news and the faith and the yeah everything that we know about you, Lord, to them, Lord, so that they also can be people who get to know you and, and yeah, just know how good you really are to them, Lord. And we just ask that you be with every one of us as we go out this week and convict us to be uh, people of, uh, yeah, good representatives of you, Lord, good disciples. And we thank you so much for this in your son's name. Jesus Christ, amen. Awesome, thanks, Wally. We're going to finish with praise. And um, why don't you stay, hang and connect with us, whether you're a visitor or you always come here. I know Lee and Larry would love to serve you a tea or coffee after this. Thanks, team. Mm-hmm.